number. Jude, beginning with verse 12. These men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried about along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And about these also Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. On the evening of January 13th, 1912, the luxurious cruise ship, the Costa Concordia, was sailing off the coast of Tuscan Island when, without warning, it struck a reef, a hidden reef, below the sea level there. Panic ensued. Many of the ship's leaders fled, leaving people on the ship. Many of them lost their lives as the vessel partly sank onto the rocky ledge. The celebration and the joy of the hours before that were ruined by the rocky fingers that ripped open the ship's underbelly. And in many ways, that's what sometimes happens in a church, if we're not careful. There are hidden reefs, and that's what Jude is warning us about here. He's been warning us of the danger of false teachers, of those who have become apostate in their faith. And they do so for a variety of reasons. We're going to conclude our look at apostates here this morning. And next week, we're going to look at some strategies for how we can protect ourselves against the danger. And then the following week, we're going to have a time of thanksgiving as we come to the final two verses of this little book there, as he offers up praise to the Lord there. So I realize I traditionally give my thanksgiving message the Sunday before Thanksgiving. You're not going to get it the Sunday before Thanksgiving because I want to finish the book up. And so you'll get it the Sunday after Thanksgiving, but that still will give you time to think of something to, to be thankful for, and I'll, I'll give you that opportunity that, that morning there. But we want to look at six snapshots here of the Apostle, six pictures that help us get a handle on what it is Jude is warning us about. He, the first picture is that of a hid, hidden rocks, or reefs now, uh, some translate it filthy spots. The, the word used here actually describes sunken rocks that are hidden from view. And that could cause a ship to run aground. It could, it could uh, you know, those of you that are boaters understand that the danger of that. If there's rocks below the surface and you're going along at a good pace, you suddenly hit one of those rocks, you could lose a propeller. Or worse yet, you could put a hole in the bottom of your boat and, and you could lo- lose the boat. That's the, the word that, that he uses here uh, and what he's trying to, to describe here. Uh, now, notice where they are located. He says, they are in your very love feast. What was their love feast? It was a combination in the first century church of what we know of today as a potluck and the Lord's table. They often celebrated or had joined the, the two together. They would have their, their meal together, and then they would celebrate during that meal the, the, the Lord's 
table as well. We, we separate the two, but uh, that, that, that's okay. Sadly, in that culture, uh, this was perhaps the only good meal that many of the slaves got in a week's time because rich and poor came together. They, as we do in the potluck, they shared the food, and then so f- they, they got a, a good meal. But as time went on, it deteriorated. In Corinth, it turned into a drunken occasion for many. The rich refused to share their food, uh, and it, it uh, aggravated the differences be, between the rich and the poor. I don't know about you, but I, I hate to get an invitation to a barbecue that says, bring your own meat. Uh, I, I, I've seen that so many times, and, and when we, years ago, when the most we could afford was hamburger and everybody else had steaks, it kind of makes you feel a little bit funny there. Uh, if you're going to have a barbecue, I, I, I'd gladly come to a barbecue, but uh, don't say provide your own meat. It, it, uh, that creates some, some problems, but that's what was going on in, in Corinth there, and so Judas warning against that. The idea is that they were perverting that feast and that time that was to be a time to worship the Lord. They were using it for their own advantage. They were using it for their, for their own desires there. And we might ask, well, would that happen today? Would, would we experience some of those problems today? I think we very well could. Uh, I, I remember growing up, uh, had a family in the church that uh, he was very tight with his money, very miserly. And he would say thrifty, but uh, it, it was beyond that. Uh, they would come to a, a potluck and uh, they would wait until the line started before they showed up. And then they would walk in and they'd say, oh, it looks like there's enough on the table. We'll just leave ours in the car. It uh, kind of left a poor taste in every, everybody's mouth. Uh, the, the, the idea with these spots or rocks or reefs, it was that it was causing division and it was causing resentment within the church of Jesus Christ. And, and so Judas warning us against acting in that way today. The second picture that he gives us is that of selfish shepherds. The word Shepherd actually comes from the same word that the uh, that we use for the word serving. Shepherds were to be servants. They were to look out for the needs of the flock. In the Old Testament, in uh, Ezekiel chapter thirty-four, and I have to apologize. You've got it on your notes, as Isaiah. Uh, you put it up there, anyhow. Yeah, okay. It, that should be Isaiah chapter. It should be Ezekiel chapter 34. I didn't realize until after Ginger had made up the notes that it was wrong. And then uh, I had a choice. I could either go into the computer and try and change it myself here this morning. And that would be a disaster. So I thought I'll just leave it up there and and we'll deal with it as it comes up. It should have been Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, he says... Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to these shepherds, Thus saith the Lord, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed 
the flock. And then if you skip down to verse 8 there, as I live, declares the Lord, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. My shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. And he goes on to warn them of of the, the judgment that was going to come on the selfish shepherds, on those who were looking out for themselves rather than looking out for others there. In First Peter chapter 5, Paul warns the elders about that. He said, don't lord it over the flock. You're not there to use the flock. You're there to serve the flock. You're there to be a, a servant to the flock. Now, that includes not just the elders. I think that's a message to all of us because if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 1, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, says, I want you to be followers of me as I am of Christ. And so as the elders serve, we, we, we tend to think, well, they, this is good for the elders, but it's not good for us. No, that's not the case. They are examples to the flock. They are to show the way, and, and the flock is supposed to, to follow them. Uh, sometimes if we're not careful, we think we're here to be served. I remember a lady in my first church, one of, every time you proposed doing something, the question that she always raised was, what's in it for me? I always thought, that's not the right question. The right question is, is this what God would have us to do? And, and how can we reach out to somebody else? And, and how can we minister to those within our community? Uh, whose needs is most important to us? We looked at that in our Sunday school class this morning. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And if, if that was his attitude and that's what he was doing, then he would turn around to us and say, go and do likewise. You follow me. He's the pattern that we are supposed to be following today. Uh, it's good sometimes for us to ask whose needs are most important. Ours or somebody else's? Who are we seeking to serve? Who, who are we seeking to, to minister to today? We, we mentioned in Sunday school class, and I'll mention it again. Uh, men, how many of you love that passage in Ephesians 5, where it speaks of the fact that the wives are be, to be submissive to their husbands? Uh, don't you lo- just love that verse? Uh, <laughs> And yet, have you ever taken the time to read the rest of the passage? What did he say to the men? Men, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church. You're called to serve your wife. Uh, we, We like to think when it says be submissive there that the wife is called to serve us. That's not what he's saying in that passage. Men, you have a responsibility to look out for the needs of your wife there, and it's a mutual thing in that passage, but do we look for ways to serve? Do we look for individuals that we can help, that that we can come in and, and minister to, or do we look at what's in it for me? Do we get involved in the work of the Lord, or do we sit back and want to be served? These were selfish shepherds that were being used in in a negative sense in in the wrong way. Then he speaks of clouds without water or without rain. 
when we first went to Ekalaka, Montana, we got there. The, the first year that we were there was one of those drought years. We had a lot of snow when we first got there, and uh, we, we were rejoicing in that fact. We moved in, in the end of January. Uh, not the best time to move from Portland, Oregon, to the eastern part of Montana. But we, we, we just managed to get in, get the truck unloaded, and somebody volunteered to take it back to Miles City the next day for us, and uh, a blizzard hit. And uh, it seemed like one blizzard after the other that year. We the, All of the the little cuts through the hills where the roads went were just packed solid with snow. It was a beautiful year. Tremendous. I haven't seen a good year like that for a long time. Uh, maybe this year. Uh, but uh, then spring came, and the rains did not come. And it turned out to be a, a very severe drought year. We would watch the clouds build up on the horizon, and then the wind would blow them away. There was a promise of rain, but, but no rain. Make things even more complicated. Along with it would come dry lightning, and there would be fog. Forest fires all or uh, prairie fires all over the place that we would be called out to. It just no rain. The farmers used to tell us as as the year progressed, they said, you know, even if it just sprinkles, don't go outside. And I said, well, why not go outside? They said, we want every drop to fall on the ground. <laughs> we don't want it falling on you and you getting wet. We want the ground to, to get wet. And and then somebody in the course of our time there found out that we used to love going camping. We'd go out and pitch a tent somewhere, and invariably, when we did that, guess what? It would rain. Well, at least one of the days, we, we'd get rain, and that's not the, in a tent, that's not the most fun thing to do. Well, I don't know how many invitations we received that year. Why don't you come and camp on our in our fields for a few days here. Uh, let, let's see if this if this will bring the, the rain there. We associate clouds and rain together, or snow, uh, uh, and we're disappointed when they come along and we don't get it, aren't we? Well, some of you aren't disappointed if the snow doesn't come, but uh, it, it we, we we look for that. And I think the picture that he has here is those who were false teachers, were often giving false promises. The clouds were there, but they didn't fulfill the promise. There, there, there was, the rain did not come. Uh, I, I've heard people say, just come to Christ, and all your problems will be solved. I haven't found that to be true. I, I think that's a false promise. Yes, we need to encourage people to come to Christ and to accept Christ, but uh, don't tell them that if they come to Christ, all their problems are going to be solved. Because guess what? When they come to Christ, they're going to have more problems. They're not only going to have their own personal problems that they wrestle with on a regular basis, but they're going to be at odds with the world and the way of the world. And it can create some problems in a person's life. I've heard preachers say that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Where do you find that in Scripture? You you look at uh, the Apostle Paul. He had a thorn in the flesh. You, you, you look at Jesus. Uh, had just one coat that, or, or one piece of clothing that they, they w- were going to divide up when he was hanging there on the cross. And we're to follow him. And so I, I think we need to be careful in, in what 
we promise people and in, in how we portray the, what God actually says in his word. Now, I, as I say that, I think in all honesty, we have been tremendously blessed in our society. Uh, we, we, we've been blessed with material things, and I think we need to give God glory for that, and, and we need to thank him for that, and, and we need to have the, the idea that he, he's given them that to us for our enjoyment, but also to be used wisely to the, to the glory of Jesus Christ. I also believe that there are times when, when God steps into our life and brings physical health, uh, brings healing. I, I, I still remember suffering for over 30 years with a, a back from a back injury. And then suddenly God seemed to say, enough is enough. And, and I got kicked by a cow and got tossed about 20 feet into the mud and the muck, and I got up, and I haven't had a back injury since, or pain since then. I, I always called it my chiropractic cow, and I said, said to the, the couple that owned it, I, I was helping them work cows that day, and I said, don't ever get rid of this cow. I might need it again, and then the sad day came when they said, guess what? Your cow is hamburger, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, First Peter chapter 5 Peter said, you and I are going to suffer the same affliction that the children in the world suffer. They get sick, we get sick. They struggle with financial needs, we can struggle with financial needs. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, it speaks of the fact that God blesses us, it comforts us in all of our affliction. Why? So that we can comfort somebody else that's going through some of the same problems there. So he doesn't guarantee us a problem-free life. He does guarantee us he'll be with us through the trials and the struggles, but uh, we, we just may have some of those sufferings come into our life so that we can be uh, a better minister to somebody else and, and minister to their needs. Then he talks, the fourth one here, of autumn trees that are, were without fruit. He calls them doubly dead and uprooted. We look in the autumn season for fruit on the trees. I still notice as I drive downtown there, there's a, an apple tree down there. Still got some fruit on it. It's in a position where the deer can't really get to it very well, so the, the apples are still hanging there. They've never been taken care of, so they're, they're not worth picking. But we look for fruit in the autumn. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus used this as an illustration there in verse Six, he says, he began telling this parable. A certain man had a fig tree, which he had planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. He said to the vineyard keeper, behold, for three years I've kept looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? He answered and said to him, let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. The uh, fig tree was fruitless. And how long would we tolerate a tree that wasn't producing fruit? Now, some of you have planted some fruit trees, and you've had those years where the frost came at the wrong time. And you understand that. That's just part of where we live. But uh, if it never bore fruit, would you tend that orchard for very long? Or would you uproot them? 
And, and that, that's the idea that he has in mind here. And he says they were doubly dead. Now, all trees, deciduous trees, appear to be dead in the wintertime. You, you notice those trees out there in the parking lot, not a leaf on them anymore. They, the leaves have been gone for a couple weeks now. Uh, to a, you can look at them and say, hey, they're dead. No, they're not. They're, they're just dormant. The leaves will come back next year. A, a doubly dead tree, though, was one where it would never come back. They would never bear fruit. They, they, they would never produce the fruit that they were in, intended to produce. Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 16. He said, by their fruits, you shall know them. We, we look for fruit on a tree. We should look for fruit in a person's life as well. If, if we're abiding in the vine, if we're abiding in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit should be evidenced in our lives. What is that fruit? Galatians chapter 6 presents it as love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness, goodness. You've got a different translation up there than what I memorized. Uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and, and self-control there. And, and as we look at those nine characteristics there, I think it's good for us to ask ourselves, are these being produced in us? Are, are, are we revealing the love of Christ to others? Can, can others see a, a sense of joy in our life as we walk with the Savior? Is there that sense of peace? Or do you like to sit around and worry and fret and stew? Is there that? Well, maybe we should skip that one. Patience. Is God developing that characteristic in you? Can you look at your life today and say, you know what? I'm different than I was a year ago or 10 years ago. I've grown in some of these areas. Are we producing the fruit or are we like the autumn trees without fruit today. And then he speaks of the wild waves. Now, we enjoy visiting the ocean. I, I have to confess that uh, the mountains are much better than the oceans for, for vacation. Um, you, you, you know, you see one wave, you see them all. <laughs> it, it, uh, the, the, the only good thing is, is on the Oregon coast, you can go from one beach to the other and they're, they're a little bit different anyhow. You know, you get out in the mountains and every one is different. It's just an exhilarating experience. But uh, we, we go to the ocean. Uh, I, I've never been in the ocean during a storm. Closest we came to it was when we were in Hawaii uh, this past January. We were scheduled to go out on a, a, a cruise. And they were going to take us into some of the, the caves and so forth there on the edge of the ocean. And we got a call two days before we were to go out that they weren't going to go out that day. They were expecting a storm surge. And could we change and go the, the day before that? And that was no problem for us. So we, we went out, but they said, the storm surge has already started. We can't go close to the shore like we normally do. And you're not going to go snorkeling like we, we normally do. But uh, we, we went out anyhow and enjoyed it. But uh, we, we went to one beach. It was a beautiful supposed to be a beautiful beach. There was no sign of the beach when we got there. The, the 30, 40 foot uh, storm surge had come in and it was gone. It was just all uh, underwater there. That, that's the picture that he has for us here. He speaks of them as casting up foam and garbage, bringing all that junk in with it. Uh, Isaiah 57 
verses 20 and 21 speaks of the fact that the wicked are like the troubled sea, constantly tossed to and fro. There, there's no stability there. That, that's the picture that he has for us there. And, and then in, in verse 21 there, he says, there is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. Uh, there are wild waves. They, they continually stir up shameful desires, passions, always the center of debates and controversy, always bringing trouble with them there. And he warns us against that kind of behavior. And then he, he presents to us the, the wandering stars here. Stars do not wander. They, they have fixed orbits. Uh, you use stars for navigation purposes, if, if you understand the stars and you know which one is which. Uh, some of you have more knowledge in that area than I do. I, I can usually pick out the North Star and I can pick out the Big Dipper and a, a few of those, but uh, I, I've never really dealt into studying the stars perhaps as much as I should. But Jude, is what he's referring to here is, is not the stars as we think of them, but shooting stars, meteorites. They're a flash of light and then they're gone and, and you're left in, in darkness there. And that's the case with false teachers. Many times they have a, a flashy presentation, but it soon burns out. And, and, and the end result is darkness. They leave behind disillusionment. They leave behind hurting people. Rather than ministering to their needs, ra rather than helping them, they, they make things worse for them. I, I saw that happen with a couple, a pastor's couple, actually, it, when we were in Grangeville. Uh, they were past, he was pastor of the uh, Assembly of God Church. We knew them quite well because he was one of the, the pastors that we, we got together with on a weekly basis, and we had a, a, a pastor's Bible study. Uh, and came from all different backgrounds theologically, but we had a great time studying the Word of God together and, and seeking to understand each other. But, but I still remember Gary had some physical problems. He uh, had a bad knee, had some other aches and pains. His wife had some physical needs as well. And they came out of the persuasion that God wants you to be healthy. And, and so they had prayed repeatedly for, uh, for health, for healing, and it just didn't come for them. And so finally, they decided to take a trip back to Atlanta, Georgia, where there was a big healing convention going on. All of the big-name healers were going to be there, and they thought, if we can just get there, our problems will be solved, and God will heal us. They got there, and there was a barrier between them and the platform. They, they went to go forward, and they said, I'm sorry you haven't been vetted in advance. You're not allowed to approach the platform. They, they were not allowed to go forward. And uh, I, I still remember the week after they came back, the discouragement, the disillusionment that Gary was wrestling with. Here we had gone all this way, we put out all this money, believing that God was going to heal us, and they wouldn't even give us the opportunity to, to come forward. Wandering stars made a promise, they weren't able to keep it. Uh, it took several months for Gary to work through that. As a matter of fact, he had to change his whole system of theology in that area, his theology of suffering. He had to realize that, hey, maybe God is putting us through this for a purpose rather than demanding of God to remove it. Maybe God had something to, to do in his life in that. When we look at these six pictures, 
It's quite a contrast to Jesus Christ. We look at those hidden rocks in, in the opening part there. Contrast that with Jesus Christ, who is what? The rock of our salvation. He is the one that we can build upon the foundation of our life. He is for us a rock, not a rock that's going to tear the bottom out of our boat, but a rock on which we can rest and we can find help and and we can find strength today. We look at the, the shepherds here, the selfish shepherds, compare that to Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 13, verse 20 there, it speaks of the fact that Jesus Christ was the great shepherd of the sheep. In, in uh, Psalm 23, we have the Lord is our shepherd, and, and we, we love that particular psalm. Come down to John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He was the good shepherd. Why? Because he gave his life for his sheep. And, and then the writer of Hebrews invites us to think of Jesus as the great shepherd, the one who has redeemed us, the one who gave his life and, and was resurrected for us. He came to minister to our needs, not to be ministered to by us, but to minister to our needs. Then we look at the fact that the, the clouds that didn't deliver, well, Jesus Christ is that refreshing cloud. He's the water of life. He, he, he invites us to, to come to him. He leads us beside the still waters there, and, and we can rejoice in what he gives to us there. Uh, we have the trees that were uprooted, doubly dead, empty promises, no fruit being produced. And then he says to us, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And if we abide in him, we do what? We bear much fruit. He's, he's the fruit giver for us today. And I'll think along with that is also the idea from the book of Genesis and Revelation of the tree of life. He becomes that tree of life for us there. We have the, the wild waves of the sea contrasted with the still waters. In Psalm 23, he says, I lead you beside the still waters. He's the one who calms the sea for us. You think of the disciples in the boat when they were on the Sea of Galilee and the waves were raging and, and they, remember what they said? Don't, don't you care that we're about to perish? Remember what he did? Simply spoke a word, rebuked the waves, and it was calm. Now, I don't know how he did that. Uh, you, you know, even when a storm strikes on, on a sea like the Sea of Galilee that, that size, it, the storm may stop, but for hours the waves continue. And not so when Jesus said, peace be still. It, it was suddenly calm on, on, on that sea. And he's able to do that in our life. He's able to produce that peace and quietness in us. And then we have the wandering stars. Contrast that with Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. He has brought that light to us, and we can rejoice in that fact today. The apostates often made feeble attempts to mimic, to imitate Jesus Christ. But in verse 14, notice they were brought under the judgment of God. Interesting, the prophecy here is accredited to Enoch. Uh, We don't have that recorded in Genesis, but Evidently, he was a prophet, and and he gave this prophetic utterance here. The first known prophecy, or or the first known prophet in in the Old Testament. And he's prophesying about the coming again of Jesus Christ. Incidentally, the last promise, or the last prophecy in Scripture in Revelation 22.20, speaks of the fact, Behold, I come 
quickly. He's coming again. And so at the very beginning of time, at the very end of time there, we have that prophecy that Jesus Christ is coming again. His promise is sure. And he will serve in Philippians chapter 2 as judge. He, he speaks of the fact in 2.10 that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even those that have fought against him and rebelled against him, they're going to be brought face to face with him and recognize that he is Lord. Now, as, as we look at this, do you mind if I do a little bit of meddling this morning? I don't care whether you mind or not, I'm going to do it anyhow. <laughs> it, it, because notice how he closes off this section of the apostates here. He comes with four warnings in a sense here. Uh, four areas that if we're not careful can creep into our own life and can be used as a detriment to the church of Jesus Christ. And what are those warnings? The first one is, he said, these are what grumblers. That word grumbler is only used two times in the New Testament. In, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, that word grumbler describes the Israelites in the wilderness. What did they do? They grumbled, they complained. They, they uh, criticized the Lord, that they didn't like the way the Lord was treating them. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands today, but I wonder, did we do some grumbling today or this week? Did we do some complaining? Did, did, did we get upset with what was going on in our life? I should have asked for a show of hands on that. How many of you grumbled against the, about the snow? It was so beautiful. And, and, and what did we do? We find fault with it. Uh, uh, blessing sent from God and we grumble about it. Now, I don't understand that. Uh, he says, secondly, they were fault finders. The word fault finders, the word that he actually uses here is a combination of two Greek words. The first word means to blame. The second word means fate. And so they were blaming, in a sense, fate. And if you're going to blame fate, you might as well say they were blaming God for what was going on in their life. God, if you really cared about me, you wouldn't allow this to happen. Or, or what, why are you picking on me? The, the idea was that they were complaining about how God was treating them. I, I like the example of Job. Remember, in Job chapter 1, Job lost all of his possessions there. Uh, one after another, the servants came, the, the sheep were gone, the camels were gone, the, the, and, and it got clear down to the fact that his ten children were gone as well. And in Job 1.22, it says, In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. He did not blame God. He recognized, I don't understand why God allowed this to happen, but I'm not going to blame God. I'm not going to criticize what he has chosen for me. When we find fault, we're blaming God. We need to be careful in that area. If you are a natural-born critic you got something you need to work on between yourself and, and the Lord. Because uh, if we're not careful as a critic, we sin with our lips and, and we blame God there. He said they were also following after their own lusts. 
habitually seeking to satisfy the lust that was in their life. And again, we can experience that if we're not careful in our life. You ever ask the question, what's in it for me? Or how can I serve the Lord in this situation? And then they were flatterers. The the word flatterers speak of uh, flattering people for a purpose. They, They were arrogant. There was pride there. Second uh, Timothy four three sums it up for us that in the last days the shepherds were going to come with flattering words. They, they were going to speak words that the people want, not what they needed to hear, but what they wanted to hear, and that can be a serious problem in the church if if we follow after the lust of those that we're talking to and and refuse to bring the full word of God, we're in trouble. Now these are serious issues. Because as we look at them, if we misrepresent the Lord and what he is teaching, then there is the danger that we will lead somebody astray. We'll lead them down the wrong path. And, and that's a serious matter. As a matter of fact, it's so serious that Jesus said, if, if you cause a child to stumble, it would be better to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the sea than, than to cause that, that child to, to stumble there. The, uh, God holds these matters very seriously. And so I think it's good for us, having looked at the, the total picture here of the apostates, to ask ourselves some serious questions. Have we listened to some who have been making false promises that haven't been, mis- haven't been representing the word of God aright? If we have, we're in danger of being led astray. And then, let's be honest, Have we done our share of grumbling, of complaining, of criticizing, of finding fault? Or are we seeking to be like Jesus, to minister and to give ourselves in his service to the glory of Jesus Christ? Jude would ask us to take a long, hard look, not just at those who were teaching false doctrine, But take a long, hard look at our own lives and make sure that we haven't believed some false doctrine and make sure that we're not living out that belief. To to search our hearts and lives to see if we are all that we should be. Remember, he said, I want you to contend for the faith. That starts in our own heart, in our own life. Are we contending for the faith? Are we seeking to live out what God has revealed to us through his word? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to stop, say thank you that you care enough about us to give us these warnings. Now we ask you to give us the courage to take a long, hard look at our own hearts and lives. It's easy to put the finger on somebody else and say, look at what they're doing. But give us the courage to search our own hearts, to make sure we're not grumbling and complaining, fault-finding, blaming others. But ask, help us to ask ourselves, are we truly seeking day by day to follow you, to do what you would have us to do? We, we ask your help in that in Jesus' name. Amen. In honor of what today stands for and represents, we're going to sing together America the Beautiful. <laughs>